What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Doctor, Doctor, give me the news. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. So, um... I heard you guys had a movie scene that you wanted to talk about, but it's a movie it's a movie I have not actually watched. So I don't know what you're talking about here. You're gonna have to tell well, everybody what you what Jonathan, you it's an R rated film. That's why so, I wasn't able to get in. Right. My I know you're not allowed allow to go to those. No, no. Uh it it was the movie Prometheus, which I like a lot of people had some questions about. And, uh, it, it involved uh, a lot of really shady plot lining. Um, <laughs> I hear it was a beautiful film. Oh, it was yeah. very pretty. And its vision of the relatively near future was really interesting in a number of ways, some of which um, are terrible and, and some of which are, are genuinely fascinating. There was one scene in particular that I thought might be kind of relevant to this show. And that scene is a horrifying uh, kind of body violation scene featuring a dramatic surgery performed uh, 
spur of the moment kind of. Uh-huh, entirely by a robot. Right, not by a human at all. It's automated. So uh, this one is of the one characters those, uh, surgery pod things I've heard about, right? right? Right. Yeah. The character hops into a big glass coffin and then some knives pop out and start doing their thing. So I guess this leads us into a discussion about robotic surgery and Bingo. How, how that's uh, that's a real thing. But uh, not necessarily a real horror show thing like what you have just briefly described. Uh, right. No, one would hope that in real life robotic surgery is not quite so scary and is in fact a good thing, um, though I guess we can debate that as it comes up. Sure. Now, this is not a new idea. It's not that robotic surgery has debuted in the last year or two. It's actually been around for a while. In fact, the first documented case I could find was a, uh, a case back in 1985, and it was uh, using a surgical arm called the Puma 560 uh, used during a neurological biopsy. Now, this particular in this particular case, the robot, as I understand it, was not performing the surgery, but was being used in conjunction with this biopsy. Uh, as the years went on, you started to see more and more use of robots because people were well, like engineers and doctors were saying there was a lot of potential there. Other doctors were very hesitant because we're talking about very delicate procedures. This is in many cases a life or death situation, and you don't want to take any liberties with that kind of thing, obviously. Um, but over the next couple of years, they started using them in other procedures, robotic arms, that is, for laparoscopic procedures, for example, which usually means there's some uh, – you're using a flexible optic camera as well for minimally invasive surgery in order to um, – to be able to handle things inside the body without having to make a huge open cut. Right. And uh, laparoscopic procedures can be performed by hand. Sure. I want to make clear that's not something that's necessarily unique to robots. So there are a lot of surgeons who have trained in this art of trying to make small incisions in the body and stick in their instruments and sort of do what they need to do in there without making big open cuts. Right. But, of course, there are limitations to what you can do by hand in that sense, and we can talk about that more in a minute. Sure. And then we had other robots, including one called RoboDoc, which is probably my favorite name. <laughs> uh, it was the first robot approved by the FDA, and they also approved uh, the ESOP robotic system for endoscopic surgeries uh, back in 1990. Uh, these, The ESOP led into another development. There was another robot called Zeus, which followed ESOP, and after Zeus... Uh, the, the work that went into Aesop and Zeus later informed engineers who built the Da Vinci systems, which are probably the best known mm -hmm. uh, robotic surgery tools out there right now. Uh, they're the ones that if you read a story about robotic surgery, nine times out of ten, it's a Da Vinci system that they're uh, talking about. Sure. They were finally approved for FDA use in the year 2000. Yep. And uh, we've even seen some transcontinental surgeries performed. Uh, using robots, because one of the other things we'll talk about is that using a robot assistant, essentially, or a robot, you know, think of the robot as a, a replacement for the surgeon's actual hands, means that the surgeon could potentially perform that surgery while not even being present within the room. Yeah. They could be, in this, like in this case, on uh, uh, the other side of a continent. So that's kind of exciting. Um, so we're going to talk about all of that, but we should also mention that it's not this using robots in surgery is not something that was immediately embraced and still to this day 
it is a controversial subject. Uh, it's one of those that has there are a lot of both advantages and disadvantages, and you have to weigh them very heavily before you can say outright, is it a good or bad thing? Especially, you know, it may be particular case to case basis. But a 2004 report in the Annals of Surgery urged caution and skepticism about robotic surgery, saying that this is a direct quote. Robotic surgery is a new and exciting emerging technology that is taking the surgical profession by storm. Up to this point, however, the race to acquire and incorporate this emerging technology has pr primarily been driven by the market. In addition, surgical robots have become the entry fee for centers wanting to be known for excellence in minimally invasive surgery, despite the current lack of practical applications. Therefore, robotic devices seem to have more of a marketing role than a practical role. Whether or not robotic devices will grow into a more practical role remains to be seen. Uh, and in fact, the report went on to suggest that it's possible that by the time robot surgery would be uh, practical enough for it to be universally adopted, something better would come along, which is, you know, another thing to consider. Yeah, well, one thing this brings up, the first thing I would say to note is that that was from 2004 and yep. things have come a long way since then. But the other thing to note, I think, is that it's pretty much inarguable that in the future, robotic surgery will offer big benefits. So the big questions are, does it currently offer big benefits now? And I think that's where most of the controversy lies. Well, and like I said, there is also that possibility that uh, by the time robotic surgery can demonstrably show that it is beneficial, that something else comes along by that point. But I expect that there are going to be at least a few surgical procedures that will still benefit from robotic surgery, even if something else comes along. I, I can't see, and granted, this might just be uh, uh, short-sightedness on my part, but I can't see some magical technique sweep in and revolutionize surgery across the board to the point where the robotic surgery progress we see right now ends up being futile. Well, nanobots. Right. There's Which the magical robotic na nano surgery. healing fog. Um, well, that brings up a good point, actually, which is something that I want to clarify before we move on. We keep saying robotic surgery, and that's often the term people use when they're talking about these existing systems. But if you have in mind the definition of a robot, one thing that should be pretty central to that is autonomy. Well, something that, uh, that that's often the case. Yeah. yeah, I think I think for a lot of us, when we hear the word robot, we think of some form of autonomous being mm -hmm. that is capable of uh, of uh, following instructions from a human, but is able to do so on its own. It doesn't have to necessarily have human oversight or control every step of the way. Now, that's not the case with all robots, but it's the ones like like when we think of manufacturing robots, they're automated, right? It's not someone who's actually moving levers so that a giant arm is going to to weld a car door onto a frame. That's not how that works. It's all automated. That's not necessarily the case with surgery. With surgery, what we're generally talking about is what should probably be called robot assisted surgery, at least for today. Uh, meaning that what happens when you go in for robot surgery is a surgeon sits down, a human surgeon sits down at a terminal and controls a device that cuts you and does all kinds of wonderful things inside your body. That was such a magical description. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So usually you have a combination of things. In fact, you, you, you really do need a combination of things, including you have to have some sort of camera view. Uh, inside the patient, usually. So you have a monitor that gives you 
a view of what you're doing. Uh, from what I understand, using these monitors is incredibly challenging for people. And the reason for that is that, one, uh, your your actions may be in reverse to what you're seeing on the monitor, right? It's not like a mirror where if you move right, the instrument moves right uh, if you're doing this by hand. So let's say that you have your you're using tools that are inside the patient. There's a camera inside the patient. You're watching a monitor and you are moving based upon what you see there. Uh, so if you move the instrument right, you may see in the monitor that the instrument's moving left. So that can be very confusing. It can be difficult to coordinate your hand-eye coordination so that you don't uh, cause any problems. It requires practice, uh, like anyone who's had to change the button configuration on, on their Xbox. It's like that, but times a million yeah. and with a person. Right. So, And then you also have the issues of you might not have the right kind of haptic feedback while you're working within the patient. So it's harder for you to judge if you are cutting into healthy tissue or if you're cutting into anything at all, especially if you don't want to be cutting into something. Um, there's also the challenge of the fact that you're working within a three-dimensional environment, a patient's body, and you're looking at it on a two-dimensional screen, these are all challenges that we humans have to overcome in order to be able to do this successfully. And, and of course, there are some surgeons out there who are really, really good at it. But the idea was that maybe with robots and uh, and offloading some of that control over to an automated system, well, not maybe automated, but a robotic system, could minimize some of those challenges or at least make them uh, easier to overcome. Uh, certainly. And some some co-developing technologies are making this easier. For for example, we have the ability to put stereoscopic cameras inside patients these days mm -hmm. and uh, create an on-the-spot 3D model of what's going on. So so that kind of thing can, can vastly improve the experience of the doctor and the patient who are going through this kind of surgery. Another thing that's developing is the idea of the force feedback. Right? Yeah, that you can um, with these robotic systems, the controls you have in your hand have the potential to give you resistance so that you, you feel as if you're actually cutting. Right. So you and you can also uh, from some of these systems have in barriers so that once you reach a certain level, like if you have if you have uh, designated uh, certain tissue as being healthy and your your uh, robotic uh, instrument is getting closer and closer to cutting into that, you start encountering more resistance, which essentially tells you to back off. Until the point at which, I mean, like some some of these robots will actually stop if they hit one of these um, barriers that you have defined right. to make sure that they will not uh, cut open something that they're not supposed to. Right. So in this case, you know, it's it requires that you have to define these areas. It's not that the robot automatically necessarily knows uh, that something is healthy tissue versus not healthy. Although we're seeing some other technologies come out that are pretty cool that could aid in that, where if you were to pair those technologies with the robotic systems, uh, we could eventually get to a point where we have uh, robotic uh, tools that can, uh, on the fly, determine whether or not the tissue you're working with is healthy or diseased. Are you talking about the uh, vaporizing eye knife? Absolutely. Uh, that's a cool thing. Different technology, yeah. not robotic, but uh, very cool for surgery. The idea is you, you're cutting on, um, say you're trying to excise a tumor. This is a knife that uh, it burns the tissue as it's cutting it and then sniffs the smoke to tell if the place you're cutting is cancerous or not. And right. that allows you to know it almost instantly where the margin should be. So you could understand, I mean, you could you could easily imagine a robotic system that incorporates some sort of technology similar to that and being able to uh, aid a, a doctor, even if you're not able to ahead of time determine exactly what 
zones are good zones versus bad zones. So, um, yeah, we're talking a lot about, uh, we'll, we'll talk mostly about the Da Vinci line, I think, because again, that's probably the most popular, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's built, like I said, upon the success of, uh, previous, uh, projects like Aesop and Zeus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one that, uh, you can, you know, if you hear about robotic surgery, uh, it tends to be the, the systems that pops up. I mean, occasionally you might run into some of the older ones, but this is the one that I think is considered the state of the art these days. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, well, what kind of procedures are done with robot assisted surgeries these days? I think a big one is prostate surgery. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the one. Uh, a lot of the studies have been around prostate surgery in, in particular. In fact, I've read several statements that it's basically becoming the norm in prostate surgery. Like these days, you're just likely to get a robot assisted procedure if you go in for a prostatectomy. Yeah. This is, this is one of those deals where, uh, it's, it's, been shown to be an effective means of of uh, performing surgery. Uh, in fact, we'll talk a little bit later about a study that specifically looked at cases of uh, people who underwent prostate surgery and had a, a you know the the ones that had robotic assisted prostate surgery versus the ones that were going to just strictly human surgeons. And it's an interesting result, actually very promising for the future of robotic surgery in general. But Beyond that, I've also seen that it's being used for things like coronary artery bypasses, gallbladder removal, hip replacement, kidney removal or or transplants, uh, hysterectomies and more, although not necessarily with the same success rate as prostate surgery. Right. Uh, there are questions about all these. But I think before that, we should talk about what at least are the proposed advantages that a robotic system could provide over a standard open surgery or a handheld laparoscopic surgery? Mm. Uh, well, as finely tuned as surgeons' hands are, uh, as you were saying before, I think, Joe, r- robots can can operate at a much um, smaller and more delicate level than, mm-hmm. than even the very best human surgeons. So you therefore have the opportunity to make your surgeries minimally invasive. And, and that just basically means having smaller incisions. Um, you know, in, in some cases for heart surgeries, not having to crack the breastbone, which is a, a terrific boon, um, right, as yeah. you can imagine. Right. Well, there are actually two aspects to that. One, I guess, is the whole minimally invasive approach. And the other is just the scaling down of movement in general, which no matter what situation you're in, it does give you an advantage as a surgeon to imagine, say, you want to move your hand one centimeter, but that translates to, I don't know, a much smaller measure of the actual tool moving, maybe one millimeter. Oh, sure. Yeah, you can you can design. In fact, these these robot systems are designed so that they can translate human movements into much smaller like like it's a it scales it down so much that you can make very very precise movements that would be difficult for even the most skilled surgeons going on with that minimally invasive yeah. there are a lot of benefits to that right i mean apart from just the fact that well, you already mentioned one with heart surgery i mean not having to crack the breastbone is huge uh the fact that any time you're going to have minimally invasive if, if that's the way it goes you're going to have smaller incisions so you heal faster there's a much lower risk of infection uh you know it tends to be people people have reported having better quality of life after that kind of surgery, and it's um, less trauma to the body, and that overall, especially in the case of someone who needs surgery for anything, is probably going to be uh, 
pretty important. Right. And again, like we said, minimally invasive doesn't necessarily mean that it was uh, robotic surgery. A human can do these uh, sort of procedures, too, but robots can do them at a degree that we just can't. Right. The the idea is that you can go further and further down that rabbit hole of, of being minimally invasive even to the point of perhaps just having single incision surgeries. I saw a cool uh, TED talk with a person named Catherine Moore, and she was talking about a prototype of a surgical robot that would be a single incision surgical robot. So it it inserts, say, just a single tube into the patient through a single incision, Mm -hmm. and out of that tube comes your camera and several telescoping surgical instruments. So you don't even have to come in from multiple directions. That would be pretty incredible, yeah. So the benefits there are pretty pretty easy to understand. Uh, The idea that you heal faster, that you have much lower risk of infection, I mean, that's that's huge important news. The precision is also really important because, again – you can end up having a surgical procedure where you get spe- the specific uh, outcome that you desire with as few side effects as possible, right? Right. And you can also, with the precision, factor in things like uh, a robotic control system for your hand. So imagine that – well, you don't have to imagine. You probably know from experience that – Human hands are not perfectly steady. You know, right. even a, somebody with a surgeon's hands might have slight tremors in their movement. Uh, especially after you've been doing a surgery for some seven or eight hours. Oh, yeah. yeah Exhaustion these, can absolutely set in. These procedures are not necessarily quick. Right. Yeah. So uh, what if you have a machine that is able to detect unintended tremors in your movement and filter those out? Well, right. in fact, that's something that da Vinci claims to do with their system. So in other words, uh, the movements that the surgeon makes consciously are the only ones that get translated into actual surgical procedures. Anything that was an unconscious movement is filtered out and thus you don't end up uh, negatively impacting the patient. Right. Um, so there have been a lot of questions about whether robot assisted surgery offers any like measurable net benefit to the patient today. Right. Because the, as it turns out, one of the things we'll talk more about a little bit later, these systems are really, really expensive. Yeah. So to justify the expense, you have to say, well, what's the actual benefit? Is there a benefit? Well, we mentioned prostate cancer, that, that robotic surgery is kind of the norm for prostate cancer these days. I think that that's the only one that's been um, proven by scientific study to to have an advantage. Uh, I don't know if it's the only one. It's the only one I've seen. OK. Yeah. Uh, well, well, to, to be fair, robotic surgery is still, even though it started back in 1985, it's still relatively young and it's hard to do. Uh, uh, studies to show continued success because you don't have a lot, you don't have a very large pool of patients to look at. Right. It's a relatively small sample size. Right. And and very few of them have had robotic surgery long enough ago for you to say, look, you know, and at five years, the success rate was blah, blah, blah. At 10 years, you know, we don't have enough of a size there, but we have had some studies. Right. Uh, The one I wanted to talk about that you just mentioned, Lauren, was the one about prostate surgery. It was a UCLA study. It was published uh, in February in the journal European Urology, and it found that prostate cancer surgeries performed by robotically assisted surgeons, as opposed to the traditional open procedures, have a superior success rate, like measurably. Uh, They measured the cancer margins in excised tissue from these removed prostates, and the robotic surgery was, quote, associated with 5% fewer positive margins. So that was 13.6% versus 18.3% 
And in a cancer surgery, you don't want positive margins. Right. You want the thing removed. Positive margins means that there was cancer at the edge of the thing they took out. Which suggests that there could still be cancer cells left within the patient. Right. Right. Uh, and so what's more, the patients who had the robotic surgery in these uh, in this study had a one third reduction in the likelihood of needing to get another therapy for their cancer within the next two years. That's and that, uh, you know, for cancer patients, that's a that's huge news, too. I mean, obviously, managing cancer is is a life altering experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, so any patient who would have that kind of um, uh, benefit, I mean, it's kind of hard to I don't know that you can overstate how beneficial that is. So another potential advantage we talked about briefly or uh, a little bit earlier was uh, the the ability to perform surgery. Uh, a doctor could perform surgery even if that doctor is nowhere near the patient using robotics, using a telesurgery, right? The idea of telepresence where the doctor's presence is pretty much taken up by this this robot that's following the doctor's commands. Mm -hmm, right. And uh, that can be terrific for many different situations. If you've got an expert in a certain kind of surgery, um, but he or she cannot be in the physical location or cannot be there quickly enough to to perform surgery, then uh, yay. Yeah, this is one of those things I often hear about for cases where you have people like, say, in a, a scientific research center in a really remote location like, I don't know, Antarctica. And you may or may not have someone at that center who has the training and ability to perform particular medical procedures. But if you had one of these robots and the ability to connect with someone who does have that expertise, you could still have that performed. You know, you might be in a place and, you know, Antarctica obviously is an extreme example, but it's also <laughs> but it's also one that's realistic yeah. because there are scientific uh, research centers in Antarctica, and it's not easy to get people in and out of them. Right. Well, you can't always predict when you're going to need a complicated surgery. I mean, what if you're down there and suddenly you need an appendectomy? Right. And that, if that has to happen fast. And if you don't, you know, if you don't have the means of getting someone to come and grab them by air and lift them out, if, if, if you know, that's just not an option, then you really are limited. So these are there are definitely cases in extreme circumstances where this would be really, really useful. Uh, right. And though we have seen that tested before, telesurgery is more thought of, I think, as a potential future benefit than as a, a really current benefit. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some big challenges there, too. As, as of right now, the, the latency issue, um, even though we are getting faster and faster computers and Internet connections, um, it's still not quite quickly enough that I would personally want someone um, performing robotic surgery from across the country and certainly not from like Antarctica. Right. So. so latency, just in case you guys don't know, that's essentially the delay between when you take an action and when that action is carried out by whatever electronic device you're using. Right. So it's really frustrating when you're like like playing a shooter game online, it could be deadly if you're like cutting somebody. Exactly. Yeah. So it's one of those things that uh, we, we have to get better and better at at uh, delivering high speed uh, access. And th that's we're starting to see that happen. But, yeah, like you said, Lauren, it's it's one of those things that is kind of delaying telesurgery from being a uh, common practice in the present. Though one interesting way around that could be the the development of more autonomy in the surgical robots themselves, where it, you've got robots that are well trained enough that they can do the precision activity on their own with merely kind of a supervising human surgeon on the other end who doesn't have to 
do each individual cut with, yeah. with his or her hand. We'll, we'll talk more about autonomy and the challenges there, too. Uh, and then we have one other benefit here that I see, uh, the idea that uh, robots can take our jobs. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great thing. Um, no, no, on- honestly, it is. I mean, surgery requires multiple staff members to be on hand, um, sometimes working, as I said before, for very long hours under really high degrees of concentration, which can lead to uh, a lot of fatigue and um, honestly, medical problems for those surgical staffers themselves. Um, automation could could really allow for needing, you know, f- fewer surgeons and nurses on hand, thus thus reducing their workload and reducing mm-hmm. their personal fatigue. Um, and could also increase the number of surgeons capable of, of performing certain complex surgeries. Um, it could it could overall potentially reduce the cost of surgeries due to, you know, needing fewer staffs, mm. st- staff members on hand. Um, but, hey, let's talk about that wacky cost thing. Because yeah, that's kind <laughs> of a big issue. Well, I was going to say, because I agree that that is a potential benefit for the future. But as of now, these kinds of systems are more labor intensive and cost more. Um, So, yes, it's it's no secret that robotic surgery is mega expensive. Uh, So, of course, you know, they're going to negotiate prices. But to get a ballpark idea, uh, there was a 2008 New York Times article that reported Da Vinci systems were selling for an average of one point three million a piece up front. That was and so you take that and then you add on hundreds of thousands more dollars in service upgrades and components that you have to replace after every surgery or at least very frequently. Right, but 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 they got to be cheaper now, right? I mean, because that yeah, was back that was... in 2008. So <laughs> today they have to be cheaper, right? Uh, nope. Yeah. What? A, a piece that was published from the Wall Street Journal just today. We, we are recording this, by the way, on April 1st, 2014. So, so it's, hopefully it's a, it's... this is not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> but um, but yeah, they, they reported that um, the current range for DaVinci Systems is some 1.85 million dollars to 2.3 million dollars i don't know if those numbers may include some of those other extra costs i was talking about rolled in that's a possibility i i it did not give me specific details didn't break it down uh but so robotic procedures in general are more costly than traditional surgeries just one example there was a study published in jama in 2013 uh, and it tried to compare costs for us one specific procedure. So it was just looking at robotically assisted hysterectomies versus laparoscopic hysterectomies that traditionally, you know, laparoscopic mm-hmm. done by hand mm-hmm. uh, among women with benign gynecologic disease. That was the title. Uh, and the study found that the robotically assisted surgeries and the laparoscopic hysterectomies had similar morbidity rates, but the robots were more costly. Uh, so the outcomes were comparable, but the robot procedures were just more expensive. On average, the total costs of a robotically assisted procedure were $2,189 more than for a laparoscopic procedure. Right. So we're starting to see kind of those those criticisms that were brought up in that 2004 report are still, at least in some cases, uh, possibly valid. I mean, the idea that a robotic assisted procedure may come across as more of a marketing tool than a practical tool in the in the current state of the way the technology fares right now. Right. There's this idea among some surgeons that there's this possible illusion of advantage caused by the dazzling technology of a, mm-hmm. of a robotic surgeon. Um, so some surgeons have alleged that patients seem to want robotic procedures, even if the patients are told that they cost more and there's no evidence in this particular case that they're better than the old surgery. Uh, 
it's just like they seem to see the option of a robot and think, wow, that looks really high tech. It must be the best. And so they want to go with it, even if it's not necessarily the best, if it's just as good, but costs a lot more. Right. Um, so that that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. On top of that, uh, the other issue or ain't another issue, I should say, is that these these systems are not small. We're not talking about a robotic arm that fits on a little side table and you just lay it down next to the patient. It's, it's not like Inspector Gadget's backpack. Uh, no, <laughs> no, yeah. we haven't reached that level yet either. Yeah, these are big, big systems, which means they take up a lot of room. So you have to have the space to to house them and be able to move them around. And when you add that to the cost, so we're talking about the cost of purchasing, maintaining, housing this thing, being able to move it around the, the facility, uh, you know, those this means that it creates a really big barrier for a lot of medical centers to uh, and they have to make a tough decision. Do they go and invest in getting one of these things and, and making sure that their facility can handle it, uh, spending all that money, uh, knowing that at least for some procedures, there is not a, a scientifically measurable benefit to having that versus the traditional procedures? If, do they go ahead and do that anyway uh, and and. By doing that, they know that they're not going to be able to use that same money for something else. And this is a big issue. A lot of medical centers feel pressured to go into getting these robotic surgery systems because, again, there's this perception that the newest is the best. And therefore, Mm -hmm. if they don't have it in order to be uh, a considered a good center, right. then they're going to need this. Exactly. Right? right. If they don't have it, then they're not obviously not a cutting edge medical center. Uh, so it's kind of this this rough place right now. Now, that's not to say that robotic surgery isn't going to continue to improve. I fully believe that we're going to oh, see sure. it. Ro- yeah. I mean, robotics overall as a field is is improving probably every day, yeah. uh, let no, alone every year. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> it got worse yesterday, but it got twice <laughs> as better today. Yeah. So it's averaging out. Yeah, it's, yeah. We, we just say that the line is on a constant incline. I mean, you see some dips here and there, but you know the, <laughs> the trend is there. Well, um, uh, you know, s- speaking of that, it's not like these machines are, are insusceptible to things like recalls, like any other bit of machinery. Um, yeah. there, there was a class two recall of Da Vinci Model C robots uh, in 2013 uh, because a friction issue was causing some robots to freeze up during surgeries. Um, it, yeah. it, it, was, it was determined that, that probably these machines weren't being tested entirely properly before leaving the factory, um, which was causing these small malfunctions. It, it, is a, it is a small recall. In a class two recall, a product could cause temporary or medically reversible problems in a patient. Uh, so it's a voluntary thing and the device doesn't need to be taken off the market. But, you know, it's... I just wanted to say, like, that kind of stuff does happen. Right. Well, there have been people who have actually criticized robotic surgical procedures for being, they think, dangerous or uh, there there are legitimate safety questions. Right. Right. They may they may not always be reliable. Right. Uh, yeah, in, in a small anonymous survey of 176 doctors, some 57% of surgeons who had used a Da Vinci machine for prostate surgery um, said that they had experienced an irrecoverable intraoperative malfunction either before or during a surgery, which I'm not 
positive about the definition of that, but I'm pretty sure it's like a surgical blue screen of death. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a Ooh. phrase you don't want to hear during any kind of medical procedure is blue screen of death. Absolutely not. And okay, so so surgeries always come with a certain amount of risk. You yes, are you are never right. going to be completely safe when people are cutting you open and doing stuff to your insides. Sure. Um, or just undergoing general anesthesia. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There there are any number of wacky things that can go wrong with our bodies at any given moment, let alone when we're when we're in a hospital, um, which was probably the cheeriest thing I've ever said on this show. But sorry, guys, <laughs> them's the facts. We're weird meat machines. Yep. Um, furthermore, the the underreporting of things going wrong during surgeries to the FDA is is widely accepted to be an issue. Um, I mean, not not just in robotic surgery and right. in, in any kind of just surgery across the medical industry in general. Mm-hmm. However, researchers at Johns Hopkins uh, did a study of the da Vinci surgeries that had taken place between the year 2000 and 2012 and found evidence that adverse events related to these devices may be, and I quote, vastly underreported. Hmm. And in fact, in 2013, um, a, a question was officially raised by the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists about the the usefulness of robotic hysterectomy procedures. Um, so some one in nine women will undergo a hysterectomy at some point in her life. Um, and it's also the type of robotic surgery that's apparently the most likely to cause a patient harm. Some 43 percent of patient injuries that have been reported um were during this type of surgery, in fact. Mm. Um, so, you know, they also went into everything else that we've talked about with with cost and all of that. But but this surgical procedure in particular might have been one that was adopted too widely too soon. Right. Yeah. You see that over and over. The idea from the critics of uh, robotic surgery, they're they're criticizing not so much the idea in uh, in theory, but just as it's practiced the now, that, that we're rolling it out too fast, yeah, so and the marketing is too aggressive. With with the prostate removal surgeries, I would say that using robotic surgery in general has been rolled out pretty quickly across a lot of different surgical procedures. With the prostate removal surgery, uh, as that study from UCLA found out, uh, it actually looks like there's a, a, a demonstrable benefit there. And that that's that's fantastic. Whether or not that was rolled out too quickly in that surgery, I don't know. But it does look like there uh, it is definitely beneficial to have the robotic assisted surgery. But in other cases, we may not be there yet. It doesn't mean we won't get there. It just means that the implementation we have right now may not be ideal. In fact, it may not even be anything wrong with the technology. It may be that surgeons are still learning how to use it at its most effective way. So there may be some cases where it's I wouldn't call it human failure so much as we haven't figured out how to leverage the technology in the way that's most beneficial. Right. Well, one thing that would obviously be a big benefit in the future would be the idea of autonomous surgery, like truly autonomous robotic surgery. Well, unless you tick off your autonomous robotic surgeon, <laughs> in which case, you know, you got Terminator all over the place. That, that actually kind of also comes into play in Prometheus because it, it, yeah. it occurred to me that the ship's doctor is the android character. So uh, so you're technically dealing with all robot surgery all the time on that ship and it's not all great. of it goes well. OK, yeah. so well, here's the thing about autonomous uh <laughs> Autonomous robotic surgery is, I think it's a really interesting idea. I think it's going to be one of the most challenging uh, applications for any sort of autonomous robot. First of all, we're really far out from having autonomous robots that could do something as delicate as a surgical procedure. Delicate and important. Yeah, without without human uh 
interaction without without a, a human controlling it. And the reason why I say that is because not only are we talking about life or death procedures, but we're also talking about the human body, which does not come in one shape and size. Right. There is a lot of variation there, even with the, a simple, quote unquote, simple surgical procedure. You can have a lot of complications that can crop up and robots have to be able to uh, adapt to recognize, adapt, detect and adapt. And, yeah. Exactly. Just the way a human would. And that's hard to do. But that does raise the question of how would you do this? How would you program a robot to autonomously perform a, uh, a surgical procedure. And I think one of the things that would be really crucial to this would be a learning robot. Yeah. So perhaps a robot that would be connected to the, to the human controlled system. So it studies what the human surgeons do. Maybe you give it 10,000 surgeries to analyze. You select your 10,000 best variations of this same surgery and say, learn from these. Honestly, I would imagine that it would have to involve a lot of work with human cadavers too. Yeah, sure. I mean, sure. You, you would have to. I I had an opportunity to talk with some robotics experts recently, and then uh, they were showing me robots that do learn, and they learn by you showing them that you want them to do certain tasks in a certain order, and if they make a mistake, you can correct them so that they learn that all right, that was an exception to what I'm supposed to do. I won't do that again. And then once they learn the procedure, they'll repeat it exactly over and over and over again. However, that's also a procedure that involves a uniform material that doesn't change from case to case. So it's right. different from surgery. Yeah. So so you're going to need to, I mean, A, just like a, like a human surgeon, have a lot of practice on things what can't be hurt, yeah. um, be those be those models or cadavers. Um, and, and B, incorporate a whole lot of sensory technology, like like the most advanced Roomba you have ever met in your life um, yeah. that, that is able to tell from from the inside of you what you what its surroundings are. There is a lot of potential there for it to really revolutionize the way we think about medicine. I mean, right now, medicine is a thing you go to. Right. right? You go to the hospital. You go to the doctor. But if you could have, say, a really versatile general robotic surgeon that's small enough to fit in a backpack, I mean, that what a bizarre world that would be. That you could carry around a a limitless supply of medical treatment with you where you go. I would I would let myself get critically injured all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> as opposed to it just happening accidentally. Now, right. now you're just. You're inviting it. Yeah. Well, wow. you can see how that would make a big difference for, say, people who are in any kind of exploring capacity. Right. So you're exploring space or you're exploring a remote wilderness or, or a military capacity. Yeah, obviously. there you go. So things mm -hmm. like uh, triage on the battlefield. See, now I'm thinking that the quote I should have used should have been a movie quote. I should have said pain don't hurt because I didn't realize <laughs> that that was Lauren's philosophy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's no, this, true. If you think about this it, would be, this would be pretty <laughs> phenomenal. And. These are advances that we do think are quite a ways down the road. We don't yeah. want we don't want anyone to go away from this episode thinking, oh, you know, within like a year or two, we're going to have these incredible robots, backpack um, surgeons. No, these that... are these are enormous challenges and uh, not that they are challenges that we'll never overcome. It's just going to take a lot of work. Uh, I expect that there will be such a thing, whether I see it in my lifetime or not. I don't know, um, but I, I certainly hope to see. Uh, extreme advances in this field. Uh, I think it's could be incredibly beneficial. Uh, one of the other interesting things, and we didn't really cover this earlier on, is uh, robotic surgery is one of those fields where 
there seems to be another issue with cost in that, generally speaking, with electronics, we think the longer something's been around, the less expensive it tends to be because we improve on manufacturing processes, uh, materials become cheaper, we streamline everything, and so therefore you end up saving money down the road. Uh, the one criticism I've seen about robotic surgery says that at least in these stages, that's probably not going to be true because – while we perfect means of creating robotic surgery uh, tools from for that were state of the art like three years ago, we're continuously improving all the other technologies that you would want to include with the current generation of robotic surgeons, thus keeping that price either steady or climbing uh, for the for the near future. Oh, sure. And medical research alone, I mean, I mean, the the capacity to test all of this is very expensive. Oh, and yeah. that's not going to get cheaper ever. Right, right. Unless we can suddenly start uh, cloning beings and have absolutely no ethical issues with it. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> that probably will come after we have robotic surgeons. Jonathan, why do you have to end every podcast with the idea of cutting up clones? <laughs> I everybody needs a hobby. And on that note, if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is fwthinking at discovery.com or drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus. We are at all three of those with the handle FWThinking. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! 
wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.